telling them the word of God or the plan of God that are things that are unseen in this age. You can't see them, you can't experience them, but you know these things are true. And if you trust God, you know that these promises are true. You just can't see them, measure them, have them yet. And in many cases, they're for the next age or for something that's coming to pass in the future. So the people of Hebrews chapter 11 are living by that kind of faith. Now we notice that very clearly they are not perfect. They make mistakes. Uh, they are challenged by this life. Sometimes they make compromises. But in the end, and again, this is not to justify sin or justify living an immoral life or justify living in ignorance or ignoring God. It just means that everyone is on this progress from this age to the kingdom of God. And on your way, you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. You don't understand. God is going to give you a promise, but you can't even imagine or understand the fullness of that promise so sometimes you try to fulfill that promise in your own worldly way and you're going to fall short because it's much bigger than you can even imagine, let alone construct. So God is doing things in our lives today that we can't construct. He's constructing them. We just continue to have faith, do the best we can, but we are, as these people did, make, going to make mistakes. We're going to not be perfect. Again, not justifying sin, but understanding that our imperfections, our temporal lives are not what control the promises of god again we're not talking about abandoning god abandoning the truth we're talking about god is doing this work and this work is not dependent on us doing everything correctly we continue to live by faith now abraham is an example of someone who left the land or the city of ur in the land of the chaldeans between euphrates and tigris river and he came to the promised land came to the land of canaan he left, went to Haran, and came to Canaan. He's going to live, as is going to be said in these verses, he's going to live as an alien, as a sojourner is the word. A sojourner in the English, it means someone who's living somewhere temporarily. Wherever they're at, they know they're temporarily. Abraham's entire life, as along with, there's going to be four, really four people that are the subject of this, although it relates to everybody in chapter 11. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, who's going to pick up on this promise, and Jacob, who's going to also have the promise. In fact, he's going to deceive and lie and manipulate to get into the promise, although God has already told him, you're going to get the promise. That's a classic example. When Jacob and Esau were born at the same time, they're twins. Of course, they're born as twins, but Esau was born first and then Jacob. And so the oldest son was Esau, but they were said even before Esau and Jacob were born, the younger will be the one, the younger will serve, or the older will serve the younger, or the younger is going to receive the promise given to Abraham, handed down to the promised child, Isaac, not Ishmael, and was going to be given to the second son, Jacob. That was God's word. Now, for example, what does Jacob have to do to get that? Well, if it's God's word, if it's God's promise, you just keep doing what is right, you just keep living your life, and God will bring it to pass it's like you trying to get to heaven today you're trying to get to the it's like you can't go there today you just do the best you can in this life live a good life among the heathen among the gentiles among the brethren in the church knowing that we're not there yet and there's nothing you can do to bring the kingdom of god you're waiting well jacob decided 
Well, I know the promise. I've heard, surely his mom told him about it, but she didn't even trust it because she was the one that was pregnant and was told this. But then she comes with an idea, hey, let's deceive your father. It's like, listen, uh, this, okay, Isaac married Rebekah. And so Rebekah, because Jacob's going to marry Rachel, so I get the, Rebekah, Jacob's mom, hears the promise, but she's actually going to convince him and help him deceive his father into giving him what God promised him he was going to get. Now, you understand the problem with that. That's, you don't need to do this. Now, I know, you know, and we can be critical of uh, Rebekah and her son Jacob, but I've done the same thing. God has promised this. God is taking care of this situation. Right, I, I trust God. So now I'm going to go out and fix it. It's like, well, well, wait, if you trust God, then let, I mean, certain things you've got to engage in, but there's certain things you have no business engaging. Just let it go. Pray about it. Trust God and wait for things to happen. Well, that's what they should have done. But they went off in their human nature and tried to make God's plan come to pass which is a sign of human weakness. It doesn't change anything. It just gets them in, you know, a situation uh, that they don't need to be in. Anyway, all these people, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob, all are going to be called aliens because they are going to live and they're going to recognize they are on a a sojourn. They're sojourning. They're pilgrims. They're going somewhere else, but they're just here for now. In other words, this is not what they were created for they are created to go through this to go to the place that they were created for and that means their whole life is going to be lived by faith again there's going to be times where they're going to get really involved in this but they'll always be able to step back and go wait 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 this is not what i'm about same thing with us we can i can teach this i can give you the verses but tomorrow this afternoon i'm going to act like i've got to fix it because it's human nature but it's like but yet i'm a man of faith because wait 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 i can always step back and go okay whoa whoa i got too close to that situation i got too involved that's not this is not the eternal state back off but then after once i get that established it'll be just a couple more days before i again i and it's like we're constantly dealing with and that doesn't mean i'm immature i guess again i don't want to rate myself but you can say immature or mature just because you tend to do those things doesn't mean you're immature the very fact that you recognize it and make corrections means you're leaning towards mature. The immature is just going to just keep going, 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 and then justify their mistakes, where the mature is going to have the same tendency, but they're going to be like, well, well so they're going to have self-checks. And, and so again, I'm not trying to put myself on some scale, but I do know the difference between being immature and just go, 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 and being a little more mature where I still make the mistake, but it's like, well, well that was a mistake, and I start making corrections or confessing my sin and, and going on with this. So anyway, these people are going to indicate they're aliens and that they are looking for something bigger. They're looking for, as we talked, we spent some time last week talking about, looking for the city. They're not, they're not looking for Jerusalem on earth. They're not looking for the promised land. They're not looking to go, or if Abraham gets over into the promised land, and goes, okay, well, I'm going home. He, it's going to point out here, I'm going to read the verses. They, they can't, when they start thinking these things, they can't go, well, I'm just going to go home because they came from Ur. The reason they left was because they were looking for 
this city whose architect and builder is God. It's a city that is not of this age, but they're looking for it. God's leading them to it. So if they're going for this city, they can at some point stop and turn around and go back to Ur because they know Ur is not it. So they, they maybe can't find this city yet. They're, they're away looking for it, but they know, that when they, they know that when they see something that's not the city of God, they keep moving. And again, not that they're looking for this city on earth, but there's no way in their life that they're going to be able to go back to earth. They're going to be, uh, and we talked last week, talking about being uh, the city of God where people will become from the Gentile nations and they will be considered citizens of the city of God, the city of Zion. They will be considered as, God will say, they are born here. Talking about people from Egypt or different countries, Syria, that they've come now to the city of God, and now that they're here, they're, they're, it's said about them, they have been born here. But they clearly weren't. They were born in Egypt. But now that they've joined this city of God, they're considered born here, which means they are citizens of this heavenly city, which goes right into Philippians, where it says our citizenship is in heaven. It's like, well, not actually. My citizenship is here. Right, but once you've gone to Jesus Christ, once you've come to faith, you've been, as the New Testament says, born again. You have now been born in this city. Your city is the New Jerusalem. Your city is the heavenly city, which makes you, just like Abraham, this is where we'll end up, makes you an alien in this age. Meaning, not just, you know, you know when you go to work, not just when you go, you know, with family, not just when you go anywhere in the, it means everywhere, everywhere you go, every situation you are in, you are an alien, you are a sojourner, you are just passing through because you're going somewhere else. You're looking, we are all looking for our home. We're all looking for the city of God. Now we'll see when we read Peter, that doesn't mean, in fact, Peter commands the, in the New Testament, you need to live godly lives at work with your family. Wherever you're living at among the Gentiles or in the Gentile age, you've got to live by the standards of your king. You're a citizen of heaven. Yes, you have privileges and rights in heaven, you know, because you are a citizen, but you also have a lifestyle. You have an obligation and although you're living with the Gentiles, they've got their standards and their culture. I'm sorry. You're a citizen of your country. You need to live at that level here in your family. Well, our family's got, they live this way in this age, right? And you are a member of this family, but you've been born in Zion, which means you are a citizen of heaven, which means you have amongst these people, you have to live a godly, holy life according to the standards of your country or at work well this is the way we do it at work well you got to follow the you know you got to show up on time you got to follow the dress code you got to you know do the things that are correct but at the same time you're also held to the standard of your community so it doesn't mean you can because you say i'm looking for the city of god i belong to heaven you are sojourning here which is where god wants you you can't just escape this you're here you need to be responsible at work you need to be responsible in your family every situation you find yourself among the gentiles 
you need to deal with that situation. If it's paying your bills, if it's taking care of your children, if it's being faithful to your wife, if it's showing up for work, if it's doing a good job at work, well, uh, I'm looking forward to heaven. Right, but you're not in heaven. You're an alien in a foreign land, and while you're here, meet the same. We call that shining your light. Let your light shine. Live in a way that's better. And so this is by no means giving us an excuse to be irresponsible or negligent or to not take care of the things we're responsible for here on earth, uh, it means almost in a sense, you realize this is temporal. But even as you realize all this is passing away, you still have to manage it. And Jesus gives parable after parable, example after example. How you manage the affairs of this age, which are passing away, is going to be the standard by which you are given responsibility in the coming age. So in, in no other case, this is a, a test for the future. This is preparation. We know it's preparation because we're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And it's not just a, a temporary exercise. It is, as Daniel writes, you're being cast. You're being molded into an image. Right now, you're being refined. You're being purified. You're, and I, those words are right there in Daniel as he closes the book. You're being cast into this mold during this age every there you're being perfected in this age so that is what's taking place now we go to hebrews chapter 11 i'll begin in verse 8 and we're actually a lot of this is going to be review we're actually by the time we get to verse uh 13 13 through 16 is really going to be our our new information today chapter 11 verse 8 and all this is we've read this by faith abraham when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance meaning the, 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 the land of Israel, the promised land. He left Ur and went to Israel. Now, this is going to be given to him because Abraham is living on two dimensions. He's living on the temporal level, and that's why these promises, again, I don't want to bore you and repeat these things, uh, but I'm going to explain this a little different possibly. He's leaving Ur, and he's going to the place God called him, which is the promised land, which is the land of Canaan. But, so he's going to, in a sense, receive this promise, but not receive the land. But even while he's living in this land, he knows he's going to refer to himself, Sarah. Uh, he's going to refer to, or Jacob will say it, Isaac will say it, or I, Jacob will say it. I, I don't have a verse where Isaac's actually saying it. But they know that while they're living here, they are aliens because really, when they left Ur, they were going to the city. It's just on the way to the eternal city that they're looking for, they had to pass through here to get through here. So this is going to be a promise that is going to be received in this age. But it's actually a reference, or for in Abraham's case, a preparation for this. This promise is going to actually become an actual nation. It's going to become an actual people. They're going to have an actual city and a temple. So it's going to be real. Well, it's right there in that picture, the remains of it. So this was, this was real. But that wasn't the fulfillment. They didn't just leave Ur to come here to the promised land because even while they're all living there, they know they're being prepared for this city. Now, this breaks down again. Abraham never received the promised land. He lived in it as an alien. So Abraham's an alien here in time, but he's also waiting for this city. 
all all Abraham received was Isaac, which would also have Jacob, which would then have the 12 sons who would then go to Egypt. And it wasn't until Joshua comes back that they received the promised land. And that's 1400 B.C., you know, 600 years later. So this promised land was never really, they just saw it move through it. It wasn't taken possession of until another 600 years into the future. So that's why, and we know, that's why throughout this chapter, they're receiving what was promised, but at the same time, they are not receiving it. They are seeing, physically seeing it, but yet at the same time, they're not seeing it but by faith. It's got, this has to be in their mind, in their faith. Again, when we say in their mind, that not, doesn't mean imaginary. They're completely confident that Abraham know. I would like to say, I know this city exists. Now, I've never seen it. I can't give you scientific evidence, but I know enough of the other things of Scripture and the other things of God's revelation to know that if these things are true, this is also true. So that's where you get the faith. So, He's leaving Ur. He's going to be receiving and not receiving. He's going to be seeing and not seeing these things. All right. Does that make sense? I mean, there's, you could, you could, if you want to find a contradiction, all you got to do is close your mind, get very narrow, and it's like, well, he really didn't receive anything. It's like, well, yeah, he received everything, but yet he's waiting for it. All right. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going we talked about that by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country and that he lives here but you're a foreigner and he knows he doesn't own property he's really got no rights he's got contracts and and commitments but he's a he's a foreigner uh he lived in tents as did isaac and jacob so you've got abraham sarah isaac and jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So he's living in a land that's going to become his, but the whole reason he left Ur was he's he's no longer looking for Ur, he's looking for a heavenly city. And we talked about that in in, in quite a detail last week. By faith, Sarah, even though... She was past age, herself, uh, barren, was enabled to become, uh, bear children uh, because she considered him faithful. I'm, I'm trying to, my NIV has Abraham in there. It should be Sarah. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And again, we made the point there as we went through that verse. You've got one man, got one man of faith. One man who believes the promise and is going to live on it. And from that one man came this great number of, of people. Uh, they're going to be everywhere. There's going to be many of them. They're going to be involved in everything. I mean, it's, it's like one man. It's not just going to become many people, but it's going to be many people throughout the world and there's going to be many people involved in every aspect of life. Is meaning one man is just, well, as Jesus used the example of, t- of talking about the truth or the word, uh, it's like yeast. You mix a little bit of yeast into the dough, it spreads throughout the whole, whole loaf. It's like you can't just keep the yeast over here. Once it hits the loaf, 
it's everywhere. That's what's nice about teaching the truth. It's like you can't isolate it. And that's why people, that's why cancer, cancel culture is such a real thing. Uh, but it's easy to overcome. I mean, it's easy to overcome cancel culture. But cancel culture is going on the idea of once the yeast hits the dough, it's too late. You've got to get rid of the yeast before it hits the dough. You've got to cancel the podcast. You've got to cancel the broadcast. You've got to cancel the reporting. You've got to cancel the, the words. You've got to cancel because once the truth hits the world, it spreads everywhere. If people's hearts are looking for God, if they're searching for truth, and you proclaim it, you put it in front of them, it spreads through, through, throughout the entire culture of everyone who's looking for truth. We talk on, on Tuesday. Uh, Monday night we talked about the simpleton, the fool, the scorner, and the ma- uh, the wise. Well, when you find the the simpleton and sometimes the fool are mixed up with the mockers in society, the mockers are coming against the truth. They're mocking, they're scorning it, and the simple who don't know anything, they simply follow the leadership of the mocker. If you come into that culture, you come into that that dough of the mocker and the simpleton, and you insert the truth. The mocker's not going to change. They're going to try to cancel you. They're going to mock you. But the simpleton will go like, what? Didn't know that. The simpleton are going to become start the process of becoming wise. The, the yeast of truth is going to start manifesting in the life of the simpleton, and they're on their way to become. They're on the path to wisdom, and they'll eventually separate from the mocker. Sometimes it works with the fool, or the fool's got a different situation going. But that's the same idea here. One man with faith produced not just many children but many children who were everywhere in the world in every area of life with their spreading the truth and the same thing is true with us if this is you and you're going to live truth you're going to speak truth doesn't mean you're going to be rude uh but it means you know you're not going to let yourself get canceled this is the whole the early church uh i've been reading eusebius the early church historian uh, and it's just story after story in, in, in many sections of his writing about if you're going to be a Christian, it's going to come down to this. I mean, in the first 300 years of, the ch- of church history, it often came down in, in periods of, of persecutions, it came down to this. Are you going to stand by the truth and proclaim it? Or are you going to reject the truth and turn back to the world? And some would turn back, but many of them understood that there's... I'm called for this purpose. I'm going to say, no, I still believe the truth. And then they would kill them. I mean, it's, and, and that, was, that was considered, and at times as you read history and you read accounts, sometimes it got really twisted and became, you know, almost became a religion in itself of martyrdom. But in the pure sense, the world is going to try to eliminate the truth. And your job is simply to be the vessel to stand by the truth. It's like, what are we going to do to fix our culture? What are we going to do to change? What, what's God called me to do? I can tell you this from the beginning. He's called you to hear the truth, trust the truth, and proclaim it, broadcast it, live it. And, that, and if, if that's all you do, you've done. And in their case, they would, if they were killed for it, they would consider that uh, the, the most honorable thing to take place. It was like the crown of their life. And that's where it becomes a little morbid because it's like, if you could just die as a Christian, you've achieved Christendom. It's kind of like, okay, well, what about hearing the truth, knowing the truth, maturing? 
you know, there's a whole other level to it. And it's just like many things, they try to find the shortcut. And if you just become a Christian, go get killed. Yay, you matured. It's like, well, no, all you did was get mouthy, get your head cut off. I mean, you, did, you didn't really do anything except offend a bunch of people. And so there's a, you know, there's a, even in the early church, there was that, sometimes I read accounts, and it's like, you didn't have to say that to the governor. I mean, you know, like, they didn't kill you because you're a Christian. They killed you because you're, in fact, one of, them, one of the accounts was, it, it said, I would have let these people go, but they were just obstinate. It's like, and as a Roman leader, it's like, I'm just going to kill him. You don't talk to the leaders like that. And it's like, it was, I died for the sake of Christ. No, you died because you got mouthy with the governor. It's like, that's not, and he goes, there's that, that fine line between, and it depends on how they're reporting. Nonetheless, your job is to live the truth or claim the truth, and the same thing will happen. It's like yeast going into the dough. It's going to spread everywhere. And that's where you've got to trust it. That's where you've got to trust if you just keep saying the truth, you keep living the truth, uh, you're going to have to continue to study. You're going to have to continue to refine what you understand as truth. But once people see it, once people hear it, they now have to deal with it. And they're going to have to, they can reject it for a while, but it's still there. And as time goes on, God is still working with his spirit, with history, with life situations. They may reject it, but eventually when things don't make sense, they will come back to it and say, and you may be long gone, but it's like, I, I heard this. And you know that you've had people say things to you in the past or you've heard and you reject it, reject it. All of a sudden life happens and you're 10, 15, 30 years older. And all of a sudden it's like, huh, that person that I didn't agree with was, was right. Uh, fortunately, they're dead now. I don't have to go back and apologize. But uh, otherwise, you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm being facetious, but I've had that. It's like, hmm, they were right. Oh, they don't remember. They're dead. Okay. So, I, you know, otherwise you think about all the people that you've offended in life. And, like, the older you get, the more you realize, oh, I'm outliving some of them. So, well, of course, there's reckoning day in heaven. I wonder what, I thought about that, too. As you enter into heaven, it's kind of like big line of people. I got to apologize. Sorry. You were right. Sorry. Yes. Thank you. It's like before you meet Jesus, you've got to apologize to everybody that you disagreed with, that you offended, and they were right. I, I, I learned you're right. And just like, you, for me, it's going to be like just, you know, a, a three-week uh, reception line. Okay. And nonetheless, okay, that's not in the text here, but some kind of application. Okay. Uh, and so, verse 12, and so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So Abraham's yeast, in a sense, affected, it's still affecting history today. Verse 13, and the same thing can be true to you. All these people, and it says all these people, we're specifically talking about Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob. But of course, it applies to those that are before mentioned and those that are, we're going to mention afterwards. All these people were still living by faith when they died. The idea there is what their faith promised them, what they were trusting for, they were, they were still waiting for it they all lived their lives and died and didn't get what their faith told them was due them because you can't get it here and they knew they didn't die frustrated they died knowing i'm going to another place and that is something that's going to be seen right now is they were all going somewhere they were all on a journey they're all they were here but they were never considered this to be the home they they had to stay here but this was all going somewhere that was bigger and better not not self-deception not like well life is tough or just have a little imaginary friends somewhere else 
they knew that there was some place that God had called them to and you couldn't get to here. And that opens this next thing up. Verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. And the re- that's why I had to explain it earlier because in a sense, in some cases, they received parts of it. But in this case, they didn't receive, they died in faith, not having received what they were looking for. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Now, when it talks about seeing them from a distance, that is where you get that ideal of of the eye of faith. And again, there's so much weak garbage on some of these things. It all becomes make-believe. You know, almost like you know, self-confidence, self-boosters, you know, self-convincing, self-talk. This is the idea of your faith is going to show you what is true, a, a bigger picture, and you can't see it, but this eye of faith in your heart, you're going to think it. You're going to know it. And they're going to see through this eye of faith, they're going to think it, they're going to know it from afar. Meaning, and you can see to your understanding, and that's why teach, learning the Bible, studying the Bible, it, it, things become clear. You can see in your mind, you've got a picture of what heaven is like. I mean, you, you, you have, you know, like you've, you've thought about it, you know, when you die and you're absent from body and you enter in, I have a, an image of what it looks like. And so I, I see it from afar, like the city of God. I, I see it from afar. Now, let me stop right there. I've never seen it, so what I, I know the facts, the truth that it's there, but my image of it is like probably grievously in air because I can't imagine. i use an example. I taught Bible for 20, 30 years. I'd have to, I could do the math. Uh, and I drew maps. I scribbled on, I used to scribble on chalkboards with chalk. I'd get down with class, it'd be chalk all over my pants and stuff. Now we've got markers with this but nonetheless i taught for years maps talked about israel talked about the kidron valley how you go up and down the into the kidron valley up to the mount of olives you know had all this and in my mind there's this place well then in 2007 we land in tel aviv take a cheroot to the joppa gate and as we're pulling up it's nighttime and the walls of jerusalem that were built in the 1530s by Solomon the magnificent over some of them was the foundation was was the old testament walls uh the lights were shining i had light shining on i saw the city of jerusalem and at that moment i mean it was at that moment i realized you know there it is it's like that's what it looks like and then what i realized right there it's like i used to think this looked like i can't remember because i taught for years and i saw it in my mind but when i saw it my memory of it just, I, it's like, because I wanted to go back. Oh, I used to think, I can't even, I don't, I mean, I instantly, it, it's like, it's like saving a file, you know, and it says, do you want to replace the other file? And sometimes you click yes, but it meant no. And it's like, oh, it's gone. Well, I, I replaced the file. What I thought for years, I had a picture of Jerusalem. And when I saw it, it uploaded the new file and didn't even ask me, do you want to replace it? It just replaced it. And I, I cannot remember, because I talked about David walking the Kidron Valley and talked about Melchizedek and Abraham meeting. And, and, then, and there it is. And we're standing on the Mount of Olives looking at it. And in my mind, I'd talked about that before, but I have no idea what. And I, I thought, that's got to be what it's like when you, I know what heaven's like. The eye of faith, I know there's a heaven. I know it. But when you 
see it, it's going to be like all, it's just going to just vaporize. It's like, I, this is bigger than I thought. It's like, what did you think? I don't even remember. I, I forgot it. So anyway, they were thinking, they indicate, it says, all these people were still living by faith and they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Now, this is not a mistake in their faith or weak faith or God not being faithful. He made promises that are never going to take place in this age. They, can't, they would overwhelm this age. They would melt down this age. They'd, it'd be like a nuclear explosion if you could see these things in this age. And so you've got to go to the next age. But so they, they saw them, but could only welcome them from a distance. And they admitted they were aliens and strangers on earth throughout their life. And we're, I'll show you the verses. Abraham and Jacob specifically admitted we're aliens here. This is not our place. We're going somewhere else. They admitted they were aliens and strangers on the earth. And I'll show you the verses. People who say such, such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Meaning you're in the land of Canaan, right, but this isn't home. And when you live this way in this age, you're showing that you're looking for your home. You're looking for your homeland. And, you can, and again, there's that, you've got to be responsible here in this age. That's part of the Christian commitment. But at the same time, you should be always able to recognize it doesn't matter. This is not my home. This is not my home. Again, I'm an American. I put American flags up during the 4th of July. I want to be patriotic. I have my own opinions on political issues and things. But the idea here, I'll be a, a good patriot. I'll be a good citizen. But understand, this is going to pass away. It doesn't matter because I'm going somewhere else. I want to be responsible for my country. I've got advice for my country. But when, when you burn it down... It's like, that's, it's, that doesn't matter. I'm going somewhere else. And uh, that has to be, uh, uh, it, that's, that's biblical. It has to be your attitude. Uh, again, it doesn't mean you shouldn't be patriotic or you know, fight to defend your country or something. But understand, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. When, see, watch. What that's saying is when Abraham, and I'll try to show you the verses here quick, when Abraham refers himself as an alien to the Hittites, when he's buying property, he's buying a burial plot for Sarah, and he's going to say, I'm a sojourner, I'm an alien, uh, I have no land. Would it be okay if I bought a plot of land from you to bury my wife? And, and then they, I'll, give you, I'll read that verse. When he says, I'm an alien, he's indicating he doesn't belong here. But if he's an alien, well, where are you from? I'm from Ur. He could have gone back to Ur. But is he from Ur? No, he is no longer from Ur. He's from this heavenly city. It's the city whose architect. He's going here. If he was from Ur, he could have gone back. He's an alien. He's an a he calls himself an alien, a sojourner. He could have called himself an Urite, you know. Uh, a Babylonian, a Chaldean. I'm going back. I'm from Ur. I'm just on a journey. But he didn't, he didn't say that. He says, I'm an alien. Where are, you, where are you from? I'm from a land I've never even been to. And he's showing by that. 
and Isaac and Jacob are going to pick up on that very same thing. They're, they're, they're going to be people of faith. They're going to, you know their lives. You can read the stories. They're going to make mistakes. There's going to be a variety of things that take place. But one thing, they stay consistent. We are going to somewhere else. We're going to the city of God. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I want you to notice here, I do not want to make light of sin or make light of mistakes or when we get into you know, self-manipulation of, of situations. The issue right here, and again, just listen to the focus of this verse. Don't, don't try to spin this off and justify your mistakes or sins. But Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were all, God says he is not, because these people were not going back to Ur, they're looking, they're in the promised land saying, we're an alien here, saying we are looking for the city. We're looking for the city of God. We're waiting for God to take us to his city. He has prepared a place for us. What does God think of that? It's like, well, you know, there's a few things in your life you need to get straight. There's a few sins you need to correct. There's, you know, you need to understand if you, it's like, what they understand is we're aliens here. God is taking us to a better place. He's taking us to him. We're looking to go to him. We're seeking this heavenly city. And God's reaction is not, well, there's a few things you need to work on. His reaction, it says right here, uh, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He says, that's right. These are my people and I'm their God. For he has, he says, I have indeed prepared a city for you. I, I've been waiting for you to look for this city. In other words, his heart is he's prepared a city for these people and they in all the struggles of life, in every situation it comes down to, when crunch time comes, they are people of faith. They are people who know, I'm passing by. It doesn't matter. I'm passing by here. This is temporary. Even my mistakes are temporary. The things I've, made, I, I've overlooked, the things I'm, it's all, I'm, listen, I'm going to the city of God, and God is right here looking at him saying, that's right, I've, I'm prepared for you, and you're going to be joining me here soon. And it, it, it's, I mean, Again, that's not saying sin, you know, you got to, you know, don't worry about sin, don't worry about your life. It means where you're at in this temporary world, if in this position you can look past all the distractions of this age and go, no, there's something God's calling me to, and it's the city of God. I, I want to go there. God says, that's right, and I am your God, and I'm going to take you there. Now, again, he'll continue to work on your life, just like he has already prepared. See, Jesus says referring to the lake of fire he says the lake of fire prepared past tense for the devil and his angels and we would assume prepared for the devil and his angels would re refer to maybe eternity past at least it was in the past in 30 a.d at some time in the past he prepared the lake of fire for the devil and his angels here it says that he's not ashamed to be their god because he has prepared a city for abraham sarah isaac and jacob so this is done. And Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going there. If anything, what God is working on now is he's preparing the people for the city. The city's all, it's ready. God's ready for you. But between now and the time you arrive, you are being prepared 
for this Romans 12 you're being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ so again you're going there this is your city uh and it's not a matter it's not a matter of you know I want to stop talking about you know it's not a matter of sin because again we're trying to perfect our lives if we want to say anything about sin the fact that you can stay in this age feel comfortable in this age justify sin in this age which is flat out rebellion against that city against the the architect of that city against the plan of that the architect of god and you're going to live in this age and feel comfortable and they say oh oh, yeah but i'm going to go to heaven it's like are you looking to have are you looking here are you looking here and if you're looking here and you're conforming to this age it may indicate God has not prepared that city for you and he's not in the process of preparing you for that city because uh, you've either you've abandoned him or something's going on. So, I mean, there's that there's that line where and and Jesus using, you know, know, the 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 tree by its fruit, you know, all these examples. We all we listen, all these people struggle with issues in their life in in the hall of faith right here in Hebrews 11. But there has to be a line somewhere where you're lack of interest in becoming conformed into the image of jesus christ or your lack of the ability to confront your own sin is an indication that you really have never seen that city by faith you've never really seen by faith this god your god is of this age your city of this age and that's why you feel comfortable living just like this age so we're done here it's like you understand what i'm saying it's like and i don't have that ability to draw that line and pick and choose but somewhere on that spectrum we're all making mistakes but we're gravitating towards this city others are making mistakes and they may have had some kind of christian experience which is you know a a potluck or a a youth group retreat or whatever is filling in the the religious blank maybe they got baptized when they're an infant and they are they're labeled christian but they're totally of this age again i can't make that decision but the bible does indicate there's a line somewhere in there now let's look at the notes here uh very quickly uh we've got on the notes you've got the english standard version uh, chapter 11 verse 9 by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with isaac and jacob heirs with him of the same promise uh the words right there uh verse chapter 11 verse 10 for he was looking forward to the city that has a foundation whose designer and builder is god i've got those words we already went through those words before uh when it talks about he was looking forward to means he was waiting expectantly the architect means he was the craftsman with a plan and the builder refers to like a city maintenance city worker that's building it he designed it and was the worker out there in the street putting in the pavement of the city uh abraham was looking at that and i wrote last week we went through the point two there with all those verses referring to the city especially psalm 87 was i thought enlightening uh you'll be considered born there Uh, we're not going to talk about verse 11 uh, that talks about sarah there we talked about that a couple weeks ago chapter 12 therefore by one man him as good as dead came all these descendants we talked about that a couple of weeks ago and referred to again the day of everybody coming uh abraham producing with the, the truth affecting many people chapter 11 verse 13 uh here we go this is new now today these all died in faith specifically abraham sarah isaac and jacob not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar 
again, they, they saw them and greeted them. They were excited about it. They're going to try to conform their life into this new place. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth, they, they, they greeted what they saw by faith and admitted, I'm just passing by through. This is not my home. Uh, point one, the author returns to the general theme right here. Uh, this is the general theme of this whole chapter. These people, because we're going to go back to another verse about Abraham after verse 16. But right here, he summarizes the entire chapter right here. These people of faith died without receiving the fullness of the promise, meaning the same thing is going to happen to you, the, the readers of the book of Hebrews in 63 AD. These people left and never received it. You're not going to receive it here either. Get ready. You're going to pass away without having received this promise. If you receive the fullness of your life right now, you are probably not a son of God because a son of God is not going to receive the fullness of the kingdom in this age. Again, that's why it's easy to make fun of the title, uh, Your Best Life Now. I mean, right there, it's like, wait, wait, wait. That's, that's not, that, that is an anti-Christian theme. You cannot possibly, in the Christian concept, be having your best life now. You could possibly be having the best life, life possible you can have now in this age, but your life in the age to come has to be i mean you will forget about this i mean if you go to my illustration of seeing jerusalem and forgetting what i used to think when you see the new life you'll forget everything about this life because it's like i used to have what they called struggles well i my biggest struggle i remember i was really upset at this what was i i don't even really upset what, what is upset i i don't remember much of anything and you're in the new kingdom so it's like anyway uh, these all refer, okay, I've said that, verse 3, but people of faith still saw the promises as fulfilled because they were waiting for it, but they knew it was happening. Indeed, Abraham did receive the promise of son, point five. Oh, point five. Strangers and aliens is what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were their entire lives. Now, they were active in their world. I mean, Abraham fought battles. He had treaties. He dug a well, planted a tree, uh, a wide variety of things, had servants, had lots of money. Uh, but they always consider themselves foreigners or strangers and aliens. Then they, uh, after this, they went to Egypt for 400 years and eventually came to, out of Egypt and lived in the land of promise. So even, you know, it's going to take a 600-year period to get to the promised land. In Genesis 23, verse 4, Abraham calls himself a sojourner when talking to the Hittites about buying a plot of ground from them to bury his wife. Sarah dies, and he's going to buy in Hebron, a plot of ground to bury Sarah. It's going to become the tomb of the patriarchs. Still there today, buried deep within, there's a building, a Herodian building that Herod built around. Still has got the Herodian stones. It was never destroyed. Kind of gives you an impression of what the temple structures could have looked like. Because same stones, same structure, same pilasters built in the wall. But inside there is a tomb, and at the bottom of the tomb is a, a 2000 BC type burial area. And so it's probably the right place. It's been honored by, this is where Jacob would have been brought back and buried at this place. When, he, when Joseph brought him out of Egypt, he would have put him here. But anyway, Abraham says to the Hittites, you notice they're not called Amorites or Canaanites or Jebusites. They're called Hittites because living in the land were all these different Canaanite groups. Canaanites, Jebusites, Amorites, in this case, Hittites. They all had migrated in uh, into this land because it's like a land bridge between Africa and Asia and all these different groups were living in there and this land happened to be owned by what is said right here Hittites and we know when you go back to the 1800s and read about the Hittites no such people existed there's nowhere in there, no the Bible talks about them but there's nowhere in history 
and then up in on the border of uh, uh, Turkey and, uh, and, and Lebanon, right in there, excuse me, Turkey and Syria, they excavated the Ugarit, the city of Ugarit, and they found, and north of that, up into Turkey, they found the entire uh, huge city. They found the archive with, you know, cuneiform tablets like this, communicating with other cities, sending information back and forth. It's a huge empire. It had conflict with the empire of Egypt, and all of a sudden, Hittites were like a real people. We've got their documents. We've got their manuscripts or their tablets in museums today. You can go visit the archaeological sites, and all of a sudden, the Hittites were a real people. But up until that time, the critics of the Bible would say this is all fiction because there's no Hittites. Well, well now you say that you're like a joke because uh, we just took photographs at the Hittite cities that were uncovered. A guy was plowing, and he hit you know, hit a, a rock and tried to dig the rock out, kept digging. It's like, oh, this is the top of a monument or, t- you know, something like this. But anyway, so Abraham's going to buy this plot of land from the Hittites around Hebron. And he says to them, as an old man, Sarah's already dead. He says, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. In other words, you are of this age. This is your land. This is your city. I've got a dead wife. I want to bury her in a tomb in this world. I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. In other words, I want to put her in the ground so she has a place. And then they talk about a price. And they they actually say, we'll just give it to you. No, I'm going to pay for it. And he pays a fair price for it. So Abraham actually bought land for a burial plot. Uh, that's Abraham speaking. Again, the point there is he identified himself at the end. He was, oh, she, she died before him. So he's going to die at 175. Uh, I can't remember. She died. Can you remember? She had died 13. Uh, what, like she was 115 maybe. Was that sound right? 127. That sounds good too. So, and that would be, anyway, she dies before Abraham. Abraham's going to live like 50 years longer than her or something, maybe 40 Again, I'd have to do all the math. Um, so he's at the end of his life. She dies. Uh, but he, at the end of his life, Isaac's already uh, a young man. In fact, uh, as having done all the things, he still calls himself a sojourner and foreigner. Jacob, now this is an Isaac lives. Jacob is born. Jacob ends up going to Egypt. Joseph's already been sold, gone through Potiphar's house, risen up, got all the warehouses built, the storage bins. He's like the visor of Egypt. He doesn't even look like a Semitic anymore. He looks like an Egyptian. Uh, his brothers don't even recognize him. And eventually he brings his father and his whole family down and introduces them to Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh sees Joseph's father, Jacob, who's an old man, he says something to him. And Jacob, in chapter point seven in Genesis uh, chapter 47 verse 9 and jacob abraham isaac jacob this is now the third generation who's going to still identify them. he was born in the promised land lived in the promised land had 12 sons in the promised land of course he went again not he went up to uh, uh padana ram up towards damascus and lived for a period of 14 years that's where he got you know the wives and started having his sons uh but he came back to the promised land he says the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. That's how old Jacob was when he went to Egypt with Joseph. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. 
So he calls few 130 years. And again, put this in perspective. This is going to give you a little insight into the Bible. Few have been my years and evil have been my years. Now, if you remember, he deceived his father. He manipulated his brother. His brother was mad, so he had to flee to Padan Haram to escape because Rebecca says, you got to leave. He never saw his mom again. She dies while he's gone. He gets deceived by his father-in-law. You know, I worked seven years to get his wife, ends up with the sister. And it's like, what the heck? Well, you know, now that I'll give her, her to you next week, but you got to work seven more years. And then oh, and he was there for a total of 20 years. And then he comes back, and then he has to worry about meeting Esau and thinks he's going to have a big war, has to fight with the angel of the Lord at, at the, the Jabbok River coming into the Jordan River there over in Jordan. I mean, so, and then, then he lost his son. All of his sons, his sons were all messed up. I mean, they're like eating the sheep they're supposed to be taking care of. They threw their brother and, and sold him in, in a pit and then sold him to the Midianites, thinking they'd just kill him. And they don't even, they've never got, lied to their father. Oh, here's his coat. Looks like a lion ate him. They put, killed the lamb, put blood on his coat, tore it up. I mean, just like, I mean, you would call these guys flat out heathen. They also made a treaty with the city of Sechem. Remember this, the city of Sechem. One of the guys from Sechem raped the sister, Diana, and then said, well, but I want to marry her. And they said, okay, well, under one condition, you've all got to get, so we were very strict on circumcision, you've got to get circumcised. So they let them all get, so the guys said, okay, what a great deal. They convinced, had a big city meeting, I'm way off subject, a big city meeting, convinced all the men. It's like, hey, we've got a great, and this is how powerful Jacob was. We have, we'll have a trade agreement like NATO, with the tribes of, of Jacob's family who lives outside the city. But we, you all, all men got to get circumcised. It's like, well, it's like my, I have a no vote, you know. It's like, but they all, they all said, well, it's Jacob. I mean, those guys are powerful, wealthy people. And so you all said, okay, we'll do it. Well, it says on the third day when they're on the greatest level of pain and infection probably, the sons, the 12 sons, were Simeon and Levi, attacked the city and just slaughtered all the men it's like we had no intention of making a treaty with you we just wanted you to get weak and then we'd kill you it's like and jacob comes back and says, what have you done oh my gosh now i gotta move and so it's like and i as you talk about having family troubles and your kids get you into trouble anyway that that's that's this family so when jacob says my years have been few and evil that's just some of the highlights of his life uh and they have not attained to the days of the years of my life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. Now watch this. There are 130. Pharaoh asked him, before the Pharaoh says, when he sees, now again, don't, when you teach this in Sunday school to children, you say, this is not something you should do. But when Pharaoh sees Jacob, he looks at him, and in my mind I see him standing up on his throne, but I don't know if he did. He looks at Jacob and says, how old are you? I mean, so when you're with your kids in the store and they say, how old are you? You realize, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. You just like turn around. And, and, but that's what Pharaoh did. How old are you? He said, well, 130 years, but they've been evil and they've been few. When you compare them to those who so, of my family who sojourned here before me. And now what's he talking about? He's talking about Enoch and Methuselah and all those guys. 130 years, he says, my grandfather lived 175 and his father lived at 205, and my great-grandfather, now we're down to Shem, I can mention Noah, I mean, he lived, you know, he was on building the ark, he was 600, or 500 or something, I mean, it's like, and so it's like, yeah, this is nothing, but he does call all those ancestors also sojourners, which gives the idea, 
our definition of sojourner here today is someone who's passing through, knowing that their present state is temporary and they're going somewhere else. They knew they were going somewhere else. Methuselah, Enoch, Lamech, Noah for sure all knew they were going somewhere else. So both those guys identify themselves as sojourners. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. The point there, the writer of Hebrews is saying, when Abraham and Jacob said that, they weren't just randomly throwing out a word. They were making a point. I am not looking for your land. I am looking for something beyond this land. I just have to live somewhere until I get there. Uh, and that goes through there. And now I've got these things written down from the New Testament. The New Testament picks up on these. Uh, in First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, he writes, To those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God. This is similar to James chapter 1, verse 1. I just want to point these two verses out. And James 1, James begins his book saying, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings both peter i've got it underlined exiles of the dispersion and then tells you where they're at they're in 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 in, uh turkey northern eastern turkey uh and james writes the 12 tribes scattered among the nations so this dispersion this spur oh boy dispersion dispersion the sojourning here and he's talking about the 12 tribes both peter in chapter 1 1 and james in 1 1 may be referring to jews that are still exiled from 722 bc by the assyrians that were living and had formed jewish communities around or uh peter may be referring to those who had fled persecution jews that had fled jerusalem due to persecution that were scattered and so Peter 1.1 1, 1 and James 1.1 1, 1 may be talking about actual historical events of Jews, the 12 tribes, who were scattered among the nations for Jewish reasons. Okay, so those verses are talking about that. And it's easy to slip in and start using them for the wrong purpose. But now in chapter 1, verse 17, uh, Peter writes, I got it in point B, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like a lamb without blemish or spot. So this is saying right here in chapter 1, verse 7, during your time of exile, and now this could be referring to an exile because the Jews have been dispersed, or now he's talking about you in this age, or the readers of his book, and he'll refer to you, you living in this time like Abraham and Isaac and Sarah and Jacob were living here, but you are exiled and you're going somewhere. Now, while you're in exile, make sure you live, well, I'll just say holy, make sure you live by the standard of this age that you're living to. But he says, calling the Christians. Now, this becomes very clear in chapter, this is what the writer of Hebrews is getting at, chapter 2 of first peter point c he says beloved talking now to believers i urge you as sojourners and exiles 
Meaning you, if you're a believer, you just became a sojourner. Once you become a believer, you're just now living here temporarily, heading to your homeland. You're just passing by. You are an exile. You've been kicked out of one country and are looking to go to, you're just, you're, you're, you've lost your country and you're going to a new country. You're, you're a sojourner living in a temporary state on the way to home or you're in exile, you've lost your city. Your city's gone. And that's what a Christian are. In, in history, your temporal city is burnt. Babylon has fallen. You are now in exile and you're on your way to the heavenly city. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, those are two different words, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. That goes right there. While you're here, avoid becoming like these people. You live by a higher standard, which wage war against your soul. And that is true. If you partake of the passions of this flesh and get engulfed in this age, your soul is going to be scarred. Your soul is, soul is going to become insensitive. You're going to be, not be able to perceive and understand the light that is shining from this heavenly city. The revelation of the, the Spirit of God gives you, the revelation from the Word of God. If you get into the passions of this age, and this, you can scar your soul, and it's like a callus. It's like you get callus on your hand. And it's, I like the callus because you can't feel anything because you keep working. You don't feel anything. Otherwise, you, you don't, don't have callus. You work for 10 minutes. like, ah, my hands are raw. I got to quit. Yeah, because you're sensitive. But working, you want some calluses because you don't want to be sensitive to little irritations. But spiritually, you do not want scars on your soul. You want to be sensitive that when something shines on you from heaven, it's like, ah, ow, I feel that. Yes, that's God. If you reject that, you can start building up resistance and you're going to be fine here in this age. But the thing is, that's making war against your soul that's supposed to be sensitive to the things of God. So, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. You're not here saying, oh, to hell with the world, you know. It's like, no, among the Gentiles, that's not an honorable attitude. It's their world. It's their age. It's your age. Build it up. Take care of it. Be responsible. But just don't let the passions of the flesh build up scar tissue on your soul so you're insensitive to that light shining from the heavenly city. So again, it's like you've got to live. And again, I had to learn this because when I, when I became a Christian, it's like, okay, to hell with the world. I'm going for Jesus. It's like, yeah, but you still got a family. Oh, God will take care of them. No, he won't. You'll take care of them. You're their father. Get a job. I'm, God will provide my needs. No, he won't. He'll give you a job. What? I got three jobs. Well, you got six kids. It's like, what's going on? It's like... Well, the Gentiles want to see you live honorably. It's like, and so they, and now it's like, but I, I, I so you got to somehow be responsible 